I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey friends, Brian here. Before we get started today, I wanted to give you a quick heads up that at the end of the episode, we're going to be playing a piece of music written by today's guest, Stefan Alexander, which is all about his experience living with central sensitization syndrome. And for a person with a mild lisp, that is very hard to say, let me tell you. So, um... Hey, listen, stick around to the end of today's episode so you can hear this piece of music by Stefan. We know you're going to love this conversation and you're definitely going to fall in love with Stefan just like we did. So hope wherever you are in the world that you're having the best day ever. And if you're not, I hope this cheers you up a bit. We love you and thanks for listening. See you on the other side. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. Today's guest is Stefan. He has central sensitization syndrome. Let's talk about it. All righty. We are doing it. Uh, We're doing it live with our friend Stefan all the way from New York City. Um, uh, Stefan... Of the Big Apple, you see? No, not what I'm saying. The Big oh, Apple. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really stoked about this because uh, David, uh, our friend David, uh, Six Wheel Painting Co. is uh, the one who kind of set this up. Um, uh, and, you know, knowing David and how great he is, uh, he, I, he wouldn't steer us wrong. If he does... We'll never take another one of his fucking recommendations again. So don't screw this up. And Stephen. also, we'll take all, right. all of his art off the studio and set. burn it. Oh yeah. my god, that was, that was really harsh. Guys. Yeah, did you hear that, David? Uh, no, but uh, Stefan, you're here to talk about something that we don't know anything about. Uh, love, love when we get to have this opportunity to talk about something that we're not familiar with: uh, central sensitization syndrome. Now, I take it that this is not a case of you just being a really sensitive boy. <laughs> uh, and that there's uh, there's something else involved here because that's what I have then if that's the case yeah yeah oh, Brian Brian's God. definitely got CSS um, uh, but the different type of CSS that you have Stefan uh, can you give us a little rundown what what it what what the fuck is central sensitization syndrome God that's a mess so up. yes I know um, so basically um, it's sort of a variety of things it's it's so you know there's all the diagnoses that you that you rule out. And then central sensitization is basically the last thing. Um, so it's sort of a collection of symptoms, collection of <clears throat> ways of being, if you will. Um, psychological uh, cycles, psychological uh, maladies. Um, and the short of it is that you can, um, your brain can hardwire injuries or sensations Um, so like a phantom limb, it's like a phantom broken arm or a phantom tendinitis in my case. Oh, Oh. so like, like your brain 
is like creating a pain or sensation around something that doesn't actually exist, but you are experiencing it as if it is like one of those things like tendonitis or something like that. It's a, it's an injury that did exist, but no longer exists. Oh, okay. okay. So it's not like Munchausen syndrome where, where Remind it's like, what that one is. That, that's a, that's a mental disorder in which a person fakes an illness. Mm, no, 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 no. But they believe that they have it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, no. Or isn't somebody, somebody makes them believe that they that's have it? Mu- that's Munchin, that's Munchausen by proxy. Oh. So, th- mm. so, so this is, this is, you, so you, you had an injury. So you had it, you, like it's something that you had. I had many injuries. And then. memory injuries and then they became sensationally permanent. Wow. Whoa. What the so fuck? This is, this is really crazy because we just, just happened to have a conversation with a um, like one of the foremost people um, on pain and That's like right. what yes. pain yes, is yes, yes. and what it uh, like how it manifests the gene the 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 genes that are associated with it the psychology of it the yeah. physical sensations of it and everything and a researcher and and, uh, and and it was it was just really fascinating to hear him talk about the the like different levels of pain and where you go from acute to, um, I can't remember what the middle one was and then chronic and how, you know, like it's, it doesn't matter whether there's actually an injury or not. It's like, it's all real. Like it's all happening. The sensation is there. The pain is there. It might, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be happening because there's a tissue damage. So, so with you, like, is it, is it everything? Like if anything that you do, like injury wise, you know, you break an arm, for example, like you mentioned before, you break an arm and then are you, are you going to live with that pain forever? forever? <laughs> um, well, so I'll get into it, but um, I went to this program at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota where they basically tried to reprogram all of us um, in a non-culty way. In a, uh, a science-based like a, like a, way, like a non-clockwork orange way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, to so that in the future, our injuries would not become chronic or would not become permanent in this way. Um, and it's not just injuries. I mean, like chronic itch and uh, oh, wow. whoa, really? And and, and also chronic uh, sensi- sensitization to temperature and all different. Sensory experiences, um, Whoa. light, sound, whatever. What about orgasms? Whoa. I mean, those are great. They're yeah. like, you're like, can we like- program everything else <laughs> except yeah. that? Like, yeah. Can we yeah. leave that in? <laughs> program the coming, please. <laughs> Isn't that that's a real thing though? Like, so uh, there's, there's there is there is a, there is a, a poor gentleman out there who's constantly coming, and it's really sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, it yeah, is. Actually, not, yeah, he was good. like, well, imagine exhausting. Oh yeah, yeah, he was like, imagine orgasming twenty three times at your father's funeral. That was that was one of the things he yeah, said. That sucks. It was um, super sad, but I still have you had that, Stefan? I have not had that. <laughs> I will come back on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. When you start coming uncontrollably, please come back on. <laughs> okay, okay, but wait. So you you just said that you went to the Mayo Clinic as part yes. of this like group going through this study to prevent you from experiencing this. Um, let's let's rewind for a second yes, because yes. I want to go back and find <laughs> out like. How do you end up yeah. being part of yeah, what's a the, group of people? Like, what's the what's first, the origin yeah. story of CSS for you? Of course, of course. So it started in 2013, and I, so I'm a musician, and I was just getting out of college and getting ready to perform. I had just released this album, 
And then I developed tendonitis in my right arm um, playing guitar. Um, and, you know, it's a very typical guitarist injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and I stopped playing guitar for a while. I had to cancel a bunch of gigs and started like a stretching regimen, whatever, minimal uh, intervention, and it never went away. And then I started going to all these physical therapists and nothing was changing. Occupational therapy, all these different things. Then I started getting strep throat, which is totally unrelated, but totally, yeah. um, getting strep throat basically every month. So I had to get my tonsils out. Um, and I'm also a singer. Uh, so getting your tonsils out as, a, as an adult is already awful. But for me, the pain of that never went away. And oh. like never went away. Like, like how long afterwards were you, how long was it until you were like, oh, this feels like it should be getting better by now. But like, it's just still yeah. hurting. Like three, four weeks from, at least for the voice. Uh, I mean, everybody, every, every injury has the <clears throat> typical amount of time that it would take to heal and mine just weren't. And when you say like it never went away, like, is it like you can constantly feel it sort of at the same intensity? That what is it, it like wax happens? and wane? It waxes and wanes. It's, it's usually based off of activity, um, like what, what I'm doing with my voice, what I'm doing with my arms. And then I also had a back injury and a knee injury and like, and then my tendonitis moved over to my left arm, um, which I can talk about that too. Um, with a concept called smudging, which is like this situation in the brain where um, the neural pathway for the injury starts to grow and basically take resources from other nearby neurons. And it can sort of jump to another part of the body that is um, controlled by a adjacent part of the brain. Okay. Wow. Okay. I have to say this. And don't take this the wrong way, Stefan. But... I, this sounds so fucking wackadoo Mm -hmm. and so woo woo and so like outside the realm of anything I've ever understood in terms of like of how pain works. And, and like, I, we did an episode one time a long time ago about uh, chronic Lyme disease. And and then Mm -hmm. after the episode, we had a bunch of physicians write us and be like, you guys shouldn't put that out into the world like that because that's not real. And we were like, fuck, we didn't know. Um, not that I don't think that this is real, but yeah. this is one of those moments where I'm hearing this and I'm going, this sounds un, this sounds unbelievable. Like this sounds so, this sounds, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. That's why you're at the Mayo Clinic because the well, Mayo the, Clinic yeah. is like the place. And and so, I mean, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but but is the Mayo Clinic bringing you in because they're going, this is so fucked and- we really don't know a whole lot about like, it, like what is the, what is the, what is the current understanding of CSS? Is it, is it, um, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but mm-hmm. like, are we looking at a disorder or disease that there are answers to this in terms of treatment and like cures, or is this one of those things where it's kind of like a, a medical mystery up to this point? Because like, it's just it's just so out there that like we haven't come to a point where where someone like the Mayo Clinic can actually sit down and give you a fucking like relief from chronic throat pain and and tendonitis that moves into your other arm and and like all all these like God it feels like anything you go through you are just at risk to like experience for the rest of your fucking life. 
Well, that's what it was. That's certainly what it felt like before I went there. Um, not to uh, give it all the way at once, but um, there is a regimen and there is a way to um, basically find relief from this. But the, this program okay. at the Mayo Clinic, CSS is sort of a new term for an old concept. Um, but this program at the Mayo Clinic has actually existed since the early 70s. Um, okay. And through the 90s, um, through the rise of opioids, um, the Mayo Clinic got a lot of flack because they, for this whole time, have been like, no, opioids are not for chronic pain. Do not prescribe mm-hmm. them for chronic mm-hmm. pain. Right. And they got accused of torturing their patients. Um, oh, but within this program, um, one of the most important things is that everybody gets weaned off their benzodiazepines and their opioids or other, um, you know, chronic pain, incorrectly prescribed chronic pain medications. Because, um, because the, that's just like, oh. that's, that's just going to cause more harm than good. It actually on a neurological level, uh, or on a neuron to neuron level causes more harm than good. It creates, I mean, in, in hindsight, everyone's saying Great job, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, Good as job on the torture, I mean, bro. As we're speaking, as we're speaking yeah. right now, like two days ago, there was a twenty-six billion dollar lawsuit between yeah. uh, that or a twenty-six billion dollar settlement between four four major drug distrib- distrib- distributors and manufacturers for opioid for their like role in the mm. opioid mm-hmm. shit. And like, and in the nineties, you didn't know. That so yeah, like taking yeah, yeah. that stance in the nineties <clears throat> is pretty, yeah. pretty pretty crazy. So so to to bring it back a little bit, you, you get the ten- tendonitis, and that's traveling over to your other arm. You get the tonsils you, you, taken. You, you out. got your tonsils taken out. The strep throat's like you're you're now experiencing the, the chronic pain in your throat. Um, at what point are you starting to like? Or at least, at what point is your met, is your like is your are your healthcare providers starting to look at you and going something is up like some something is this isn't just a case of you know uh, a series of unfortunate events a guy with bad luck like this is this is there's something else at at the, at the root cause of what's going on here. Well, I mean that was always what we were trying to find, but the hard thing about. Um, conventional Western medicine is that you're going to all these different specialists and they're not communicating. Um, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to 24 different conventional doctors oh in, in New York um, <clears throat> of all like rheumatologist, immunologist, uh, you know, ortho, like all these different orthopedists to looking for uh, second opinions, third opinions. And then also on top of that, also like your chiropractic and your cranial sacral therapy right. and like crazy homeopathic diets that cost a shit ton of money and you know uh, don't do a damn thing because like um, any like any right. answer like any yeah. anything you could possibly you could possibly explore mm-hmm. but it got to the point where you know these basically top doctors in the city that you know we have a couple different hospital systems Mount Sinai NYU Langone um, and these are like where the best doctors in the cities theoretically in the city theoretically go to work Mm-hmm. Um, because they're such prestigious uh, institutions. Um, those people couldn't figure it out. And those people were throwing up their hands. And yeah, as I said, without this communication, it's sort of like I have to be the liaison between the doctors. And right. I'm not a what, doctor. I don't what, have an MD. So what was your, what was your, um, like when you were going through all this, what was your, what was your instinct? What, 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 what were, what was your, what was your mind telling you was going on? Like, did you, did you think this is a neurological thing or did you think 
you're in pain because there is phys- something physical that's happening that, that you just can't see or, or like what, what's your instinct telling you is going on? Well, my instinct is saying, this is pain. This is real. I'm responding to it in the same way, but there's no inflammation on the MRIs. There's no indication of anything on the ultrasounds. There's no, nothing in my blood work. There's mm. like, everything is normal and negative. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had these doc. I had like a dermatologist who was just like, what about like Mediterranean fever? Like it was just sort of like, poly- <laughs> it was, it sort of felt like uh, that, that show house uh, from the mid 2000s. Let's just I was gonna start say Grey's pulling anatomy, random but- shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it always lupus though with that show? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, lupus yeah. the but whole time. Hugh Laurie came in and was like, I know what did, this did is. Did you feel yeah. though? Did you feel at all or ever that like people just didn't believe that you were in pain? Like yeah. especially totally. looking at the totally. MRIs and stuff. Yeah. Like like are you are you sure? It yeah, I, I definitely felt like you shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, doctors. You know, I I I learned a lot about bedside manner. Um, and doubt, yeah. some doctors are super sympathetic, but some doctors when they don't when they're out of their element when they don't know what's going on they get kind of agitated and they take that yeah. out on you yeah. um, because you are, you know, challenging them in ways that they didn't expect. Um, mm-hmm. And it was often the older doctors that were the most resistant. The younger doctors, um, especially when I came back from the Mayo Clinic, were like, oh yeah, I think I've heard about this. Like the people who mm. are doing their, their continuing education credits and, you know, the people just out of med school even um, were the people that were most receptive to some like just basically the idea of not knowing. Um, right. I mean, I mean right. that makes that makes sense. Like, I mean, it makes. I don't mean to be, you know, to to paint to paint you know the older generations with a with this like super broad stroke. But you know, broadly, generally, older people tend to older be, people. Old people are dumb. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. All old people are <laughs> stupid and and dumb and worthless. And I think. I mean, we've we've known that for six years. Yeah, this podcast. Yeah, and and we should, that was the say. first thing yeah. we learned. We about should it. we oh, should wow. impose a mandatory forty-five year old retirement age. That's why Midsummer was such a good That's movie. Not such a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna th- throw this uh, Patreon question at you. We have we have a bunch of patrons and mm. and uh, they're a lovely community. And when we when we have a guest coming on the show, uh, Lauren, our producer. Um, let's our, our patrons know who we're talking to and if they have any questions that they would like to ask. And That's awesome. uh, Ashley has a question, which is how did you end up getting your diagnosis? Well, that was going to the Mayo Clinic. Um, Got you. And, and I brought my briefcase with 400 pages of medical records uh, and just like dropped it on the table in front of the head of my medical team. And the difference with the Mayo Clinic is that all the specialists do talk and they sit around essentially like in a boardroom situation and they're like, what the fuck is going on? So did um, you, did you curate that list yourself? Like, is that, that briefcase of 400 pages, like you put that all together your, yourself and brought it there? Yeah. I had to call yeah. all 25 doctors and fuck. harangue wow. the shit out of them with all the HIPAA forms to send me my stuff. It took me about four weeks. It's wow. so, it's so, it's so wild. We were, Brian and I were talking earlier today and we've had this conversation a, a lot on, uh, on, on various <clears throat> episodes, um, talking to people and experts and things about like digitized and centralized 
medical records yeah. and mm-hmm. like how important that is. And it, it came up because of- um, And how stupid it is that, it, that we're not there yeah. yet. Like and it's 2021, Jeff Bezos just went to space. It came up because and, we- And <laughs> like we have billionaires going to space, but we can't have a bunch of shit. Like we, we can't just like have email. Like, well, also, it, it, you know? it came up. It came up because we were talking about how Israel, Israel and Pfizer have had this deal with vaccines, like mm. because they have a centralized medical record system, right? And wow. digitized. And so, basically, um, if you're not if you're not aware of this, or anybody who's not aware of this who's listening, Israel has this digitized and centralized medical record system that allowed mm. them to negotiate this deal with Pfizer, where they got a fuckload of vaccines faster than anybody on on the planet because they could like instantaneously share mass quantities of vaccine data with Pfizer. And so, so Mm. they still paid for the vaccines and everything. There wasn't like apparently nothing like nothing that wasn't above board in that sense, but they, but they were, yeah, that we know of, but they were able to basically say, listen, we can give you like real time, super fast feedback because we have this, we, you know, we have this, you know, state of the art medical, like centralized medical system, medical record system. And, and I really want to dig into it because there's so, I mean, case in point, you going to the Mayo Clinic and having to go to all these doctors. I don't know if you have to pay for it here in Canada. You sometimes have to pay to get those medical records Mm. uh, released and then, and Mm. then printed or whatever, and to, to get them given to you. And then, and then, and then the burden is on you to have this like ridiculous quantity of, of, of segregated medical records to bring to the Mayo Clinic, who then then that complicates mm. their job yep. in trying to synthesize all that information so that they can do, was that do their co- job. was that a costly like to to I mean aside from buying the briefcase was it costly <laughs> to, get, to get the uh, to get all like all four hundred doc- documents together? Most doctors were generous with them, um, yeah. or it was just their policy to give them away for free. I think a couple maybe charged me ten twenty dollars. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, but that was not. You know, that you was do that the 25 bulk times. of the cost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. It, yeah. No, it but does, the bu- I mean, like in the I mean the, the US, I'm uh I this this whole experience has made me obviously a fervent uh supporter of uh Medicare for all yeah. and yeah. socialized no medicine. No because what I was able to have access to was ridiculous. And it was just because I had this really robust insurance through my employer at the time. But what I I mean basically over the course of four years, including the Mayo Clinic, my insurance spent probably $250,000 on me. Wow. Whoa. And wow. That's crazy. You know, like, <laughs> there's there's this whole concept of, like, lifetime limits. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm fucked. Cause, yeah. um, Did like, you I've butt up against any it. of those limits? No. Thankfully, I was working at this company with all these other young people who were barely even going to their primary care doctors. So, like... Right. You know, it kind of evened out for them. They weren't mm-hmm. really complaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, to, to like, just to come back to the Mayo Clinic thing, mm-hmm. when you went there with that briefcase, <laughs> did you, um, were you going there? Like, did they go come to us because we believe you have CSS and we want to put you in this like CSS program? Or were they like, come to us because we have no idea what you have and maybe we can give you an answer. And then once they gave you that diagnosis, then they were like, all right, cool. Now join this cult that we've got going on with this like group of people (laughs) and bring that cool briefcase with you. 
and we'll we'll like get to the we'll try to get to the bottom of what you've got going on along with all the other people that are there for CSS. I basically so when you apply, you have to sort of give your you have to tell your story and describe what interventions you've already tried. And obviously, I had this litany of things that I had already done um, and ruled everything out basically that I could. Um, and then when I went there, I handed this briefcase over to the head of my medical team who flipped through it and was like, well, you've done a lot of work. Um, but, and, and, he, and he said, um, we've, we'll, we'll set you up with a bunch of specialists. And I, I had some people that I wanted to meet with and because, you know, there were so many things that were weird and I didn't know that there was necessarily something tying them all together. So I thought, well, these are the best doctors in the world, theoretically. Um, mm. I might as well go to as many as I can. Um, but then he also said, I think you should go to this short, like, well, not short, four hour long seminar um, about this condition and see if it feels mm. like it connects with you. And I go to this basement room and sit with all these other moaning sick people and watch this <laughs> PowerPoint presentation, and I'm just like, holy shit. Everything about this is me. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. What a cool, like, what a, I mean, awful that you have to go through this, but also, what a cool thing that exists, you know? Like, mm-hmm. what a, what a, like, to, to just, to just, like, go to this almost campus that really mm-hmm. specializes in all these very unique and, and very, you know, rare or, or, or un, undiagnosed or, 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 um, you know, not that well known about disorders and to show up and like, you know, to be said, like, to be told like, okay, uh, we're actually holding a seminar this evening mm-hmm. on something that might resonate with you and to go to that, like that, it, it's and, like, you're going to university for sick boys. And, and just right. that, just that, that like a that, Sick a, Boy University. that, a, that approach that you <laughs> guys, did, yeah, we should, st- we yeah, should start, we should start it. Oh just that, it, just that approach is very cool. I had a sim, I had a, I had like a really similar is. sort of experience just the other day where I've been looking into this thing with my heart that is like, this is like very, you know, like I, what I believe is like a completely benign thing, but I was like, Hey, I just got a family doctor for the first time in many years. And this is something that I want to look into. I got set up with a, with a, a cardiologist and I had a phone appointment and he, he basically said, Hey, listen, like, uh, like describe to me what you're feeling. You know, I've got your medical records and I've, and I've, you know, I got the notes from your, from your GP and everything. And he, and he went through like, based on what you're telling me and what I've seen, like, here are some possibilities. And he said, and he said kind of that same thing. He said, do, do any of these feel like they fit? Right. And I was mm. like, huh, that's a, I feel like doctors more generally, they're trying to like come up with the answer. Mm. They're trying to say like, this is what you got. And I, and I was really, uh, I, I was actually really impressed with that approach of saying, <laughs> what, like, how does this feel? Does any of this fit? Does any of this feel like it's what you, mm. what you're experiencing versus, versus, um, versus just like, a, like a, I'm going to diagnose you. Mm-hmm. It, and I just felt, it just felt mm. really, um, it felt really uh, like collaborative. Mm. Yeah. I've, I, the thing that I find really striking, but like, like you talk about, um, seven, you talk about going to like the Mayo clinic and be like the, this like boardroom of medical professionals from all different specialties, like sitting down and discussing what the, uh, possible diagnosis could be. And like, it, it, it just seems like, Oh, that's what we should be doing. Like, and Taylor talking about like collaboration, like there should be collaboration between 
uh, doctors. But I wonder, like, my first thought is like, why don't we do that that much? Why don't medical professionals do that that much? And why do you have to go to a place like the Mayo Clinic to experience that? And my first thought, I'm curious what you guys think, is that it's just basically a resource issue. Like, I think it's just like number one. I think it's a broken system 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 that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But like, also, is it a challenge with having like the resources, like having the right people that are available to a friend of mine together? A friend of mine who's a who's an emergency doc and has been or do they do that more than a long time? He 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 does the um, he does the uh, uh, the like in depth anatomy portion of our yoga teacher training, and he 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 said, you know, you've got you've got GPs and they know a little, like very little about a fuckload of stuff. And then, and then you get, um, and then you get like specialists and they know, they know a fuckload about a little. And then I can't remember he, he, like he went like two layers deeper on like the type of doctor and like <laughs> how you, how you continuously dig down. And you're just like, and then you've got the Mayo Clinic and they just know everything. And you're digging, <laughs> but you're digging, you're digging down into, into people who are like, they're so hyper-focused that when you get something like you're describing, Stefan, like where, you know, there's, you're experiencing all of these things that are like, this is in this person's field and this is in this person's field. And like it, and, and then like the system that we have, the non-existent system that we have to, 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 to share that information is where it breaks down in, until you go to a place like mm. the Mayo, the Mayo clinic where it exists in this, like in this highly, highly mm. specialized specific place, but it's not, it's not happening at like the hospital level in New York or in, you know, mm. wherever else you live. Uh, Stefan, a question about, so uh, I live with cystic fibrosis and, mm. and like the root cause of CF is it's a genetic disorder. So my mom is a carrier of a, of a certain gene. My dad's a carrier of, the, of a certain gene. Neither of them have CF, but then they fucking have me and they pump out this genetically fucked up baby that has cystic mm-hmm. fibrosis. In, in that seminar or, or at the time or, or, or the time that you spent at Mayo Clinic, did, did you get any sort of answer to like what the root cause of something like CSS actually is like, is it genetic? Is it, is it, is it through a past experience? Is it like, where does it, where does it come from? Well, so I will say that this is sort of a twofold answer. Um, The treatment is most is predominantly psychological. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's because the root of CSS is um, most likely trauma. Um, mm. and, and generally it's a traumatic event. And then about 10 to 20 years later, you start having all these symptoms and it was pretty much the same for everyone there. Like um, a psychologically tra- traumatic event or, or a physically, a physical tra- traumatic event or, or either or, way. I mean, or, I think either one. those u- things are usually hand in hand. They come hand in, in right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in right. some capacity for me. I also have a condition called hydrocephalus, um, water on the brain, um, where, the fluid doesn't flow properly through the ventricles of my brain. Um, mm. So I have a pump. Um, uh, it's like a, uh, I, what's, what's the word? It, it just doesn't, it, it, it's not like an electric pump or, you know, it's a um, passive pump um, that drains fluid from my brain down into my small intestine. Whoa, um, whoa crazy. Whoa. How does that like, work? What, yeah, and also, when did you get that? As a baby. 
Um, So I had to have it replaced five times when I was born or like uh, before I was one, three times when I was seven, and then once when I was 19. Wow. Um, Wow. That's pretty traumatic. It is. I'm one of the very unlucky few. I'm like in the five percentile (laughs) of people uh, who've had to have it replaced more than eight times or something like that. Wow. Um, So that sucks. (laughs) But um, but yeah, basically when you're that young – you can't process what's going on. And mm-hmm. so that trauma gets stored in a physical capacity and all that mm-hmm. um, cortisol and all the, you know, uh, hormo- stress hormones um, sort of fuck with your body um, in a Is lot it, of ways. Have you read The Body Keeps the Score? Uh, I believe so. I also read a book called When the uh, When the Body Says No or something like that okay. by Gabor Mate, which is incredible. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard of it, but I haven't read that. Um, and I've only read pieces of The Body Keeps the Score, but I have uh, two people who are really close to me who have both read it and like have synthesized it to me. But it's basically about the whole concept is when you go through a traumatic experience, your body stores that somewhere within mm-hmm, it. So mm-hmm. there's like a physical, actual, tangible manifestation of that psychological trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, I, I'm curious in like your work with a psychologist, like obviously this is sort of like the first, the first thing that you, you brought up was this water on the brain and the experience that goes with that. Um, is there anything else that you could like, that it seems like an, and maybe like obvious potential cause of what has led to this, um, or what could have been the source of the trauma? Well, sort of how it was described to me or some conclusions that have been made, it's like, for me specifically, I don't think this is necessarily applicable to everybody there. But for me, as a kid, I it's like a learned behavior. I had to learn to be hypervigilant about all symptoms because the symptoms in my body were the signals for what, what might be going wrong in my brain. Um, mm-hmm. So if I had... A, he- a really bad headache and I threw up, I immediately had to run to the hospital and get a CAT scan. And that probably happened 40 or 50 times when I was a kid. Whoa. Um, wow. Because we never knew. Um, and those are really common symptoms. So, uh, especially for kids. <clears throat> so, yeah, this hypervigilance, this, this hyperfixation on symptoms, constantly checking, um, that, that learned behavior that hyperfocus is part of what creates those uh, permanent neural pathways that it, perpetuate the injury. Wow. Is, is there a thought that, like, with um, like uh, with therapy, with going to like therapy, that you can sort of reduce the physical sensations or 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 pain, like stored pain sensations that you're feeling? I think of like. My therapist used, uh, have I told you guys the analogy of the crumpled up paper? Yeah. I think I have, yeah. So, Stefan, just to like give you a quick like uh, analogy that my therapist used, she talks about trauma as being these like uh, crumpled up pieces of paper. And when our mind goes to file them away, they don't file properly. Like they, mm. they sort of stick out and have all these rough edges. So, we pull those experiences back up, talk through them, iron out those crinkles. And then try to file them back away so that it's easier to like understand those experiences. And when something sort of triggers our memory of them, it's not as rough um, on our uh, on our experience of what it's like to live. And so I, I imagine, like to use this analogy for you, that 
those experiences for you are like these super crumpled up pieces of paper and you have to like take the moat, iron the moat, and then crumpled f- and laminated, which yeah, is fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's so like, it's, it's so like it's really hard to laminate a paper. Yeah, and then really hard to like straighten it once yeah, it's yeah, already yeah, been yeah, laminated, yeah, right? Yeah. You have to like delaminate it. Yeah, and find, iron it and out, find a very special iron iron laminated things. So, I, well, I guess like I'm kind of sticking with that analogy a little bit, even though it's getting a little bit fucked up, you guys. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder, like, is it possible to iron out your paper and then therefore hopefully reduce the like physical sensations of pain that you feel when you experience your CSS? Well, it's sort of a twofold thing and I can now get into like the actual treatment in the program. Yeah, Um, please. So yes, you're looking back at your trauma and you're reinvestigating it and you're trying to understand it, trying to process it now um, in a healthy way. I mean, I did some of that before I went. I did, you know, this is one of the sort of kookier, if you will, um, interventions that I tried was hypnotherapy, which is Mm. not hypnosis, hypnotherapy with like Mm -hmm. a licensed psychologist, Mm. but it didn't really help. Like it, it, you know, the idea of, you know, going back and trying to relive that experience as a seven-year-old. And, um, and this is also a good point to say that like my parents were incredible during this time and they were so supportive and so attentive um, so that wasn't real. That was never the issue. It's just like, it's a, it's a shitty thing to like spend a week at Boston Children's Hospital and, yeah. um, have to be out of school and like miss all these things. You know, I remember as a seventh grader, like I, I came back to school, I had this like huge bandage on my head and, um, they had like made ice cream with dry, dry ice. And I was like so jealous and I was like, ah, this memory that I'll never have, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many components to it. So that's one side of it. But the other side of it, the, you know, uh, present treatment um, is all about cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, and gradual desensitization. Mm. Um, so you're using cognitive behavioral therapy to um, change the way that your mind works, those, those neural patterns, those psychological um, habits that you've formed. You're trying to work against that. You're challenging your automatic thoughts. And those automatic thoughts are, oh my God, I'm fucking broken. Oh my God, something's wrong. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Even though you know that's not true because you've ruled everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So the, the desensitization for me, you know, I couldn't really, I couldn't play guitar or sing for more than like five minutes, which these are the things I've done for my entire life. So that was yeah. mm-hmm. horrible for four years. Um, and so when I got to the Mayo Clinic, they were like, okay, you're going to do that for five minutes today. You're going to do that for six minutes tomorrow, seven minutes the next day and on. And it was excruciating, but I just had to do it to basically retrain my brain that these activities are not actually harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So it's all this sort of neuro training. Um, and then on the mindfulness side of things, you're trying to, tamp down your sympathetic nervous system, which is like your stress response, your internal fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to raise up your parasympathetic nervous system, which works to um, combat that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's sort of this like three, four prong um, treatment where now, I mean, this is uh, definitely giving it all away, but I can sing for like six hours now. Um, Wow. And 
uh, I can play guitar for pretty much as long as I want. Um, so are they, are they like when you are going through those, those treatments, are you like, do you do them at home or do they like kind of send you off? So let's go, I want to go back to the story of like you being in that, um, presentation where mm-hmm. the doctor sent you off to like watch this thing and be like, Hey, wait, is this, is this what you have? And so afterwards when, when like everything sort of connects with you and you, you realize that like it is, it is CSS. Um, and then these are sort of like the therapeutic, uh, approaches that you can take to, to feeling some, some comfort with your life. Um, do they like send you off and just, you go home and start doing these things or do you do them there? At the hospital. You sign up for a time to come back. Um, and the way the program works, it's really, really cool. It's sort of this rolling admission. Um, so the day that I arrived, somebody else was graduating. So I could see the end of oh, the cool. end, see what progress somebody could make. Wow. And, that's cool. um, you know, yeah. through my time there, I could see other people's progress too, but it was so crazy and, and unbelievable at the beginning for people to be like, this program works. And me being like, really? Does it really work? Because it seemed so far-fetched. Everything that you're talking about right now, like for the last like five, 10 minutes that you've been kind of describing stuff, it we, we had a conversation, we had another amazing- I was going to say this Incredible sure. conversation. The last two, the last week and a half, we had the conversation with the pain guy. And then we had a conversation with a guy who studies the placebo effect. Mm. And the whole time yeah. that you've been describing this, I'm like- <clears throat> Man, and he said to us in the conversation, he said, once you once you learn more about placebo or nocebo, or nocebo yeah. that like you just start to see it in everything. And as you've been describing this, I'm like, man, how much of a role does placebo or probably more in your case, nocebo, like play a role in how you're experiencing this? Like, like, mm. d- d- like the idea that you thinking that you playing the guitar is going to perpetuate this thing. And like, because you think it will, it does, Mm -hmm. even though it doesn't, it doesn't actually, but it does because you think it. And, and like it, it has that psychological knock on effect where you, you like, you, you just further entrench these, these ideas Mm -hmm. until you, until you start to, uh, fill them in with this, with these, like with these, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, things and all the, and all the stuff that you engaged in at the Mayo clinic. Um, I, I'm, I was actually like, thinking, I was thinking the, the best study, what was the, when you're, when you're transparent about, um, placebo, what was that called? Open, a, open placebo, open, open placebo. placebo. That would be the perfect, the Stefan's group of people would be the perfect <laughs> candidates for open placebo yeah. because you could give them like a sugar pill and say like, this is a placebo too, while they're going through this. And I, you could study who, um, who gets better who progr- through the treatment? Who progresses and who, faster. Yeah, it sounds like the, it sounds like most do most yeah. people get better. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were a couple yeah, people that really dropped out, but yeah, just to, to, to um, see like how many just to, who so rigorous faster. and so hard. But like you know, one man I saw one man literally come in in a wheelchair and then walk a mile three weeks later. Wow! Whoa! So Whoa. like wow. the brain is bonkers. Fucked. Yeah, but it's the brain but, is it, it's so wild. It is really important to say, though, that this that this condition is not like psychosomatic or psychogenic. It's, right. It's uh, it's basically like central neuropathy. It's like neuropathy in your brain. It's um, miswiring. Uh, like if if you look at an uh, a functional MRI fMRI of somebody who has this condition, like 
their brain is going to light up like they have an injury in the right. same right. way. Yeah, yeah. like it, the, right. the, the pain is there. The pain mm-hmm. is actually happening. It is real. Yeah. But, it, but it's crazy that you can go in and you can do these therapies that you did and it, and it, and it helps instead of what I would like when, when, like when you talk, it's not psychosomatic and it's actually happening at the, at the level of your brain and like the neuro pathways, like you, you almost sort of think like that, that something like that would require brain surgery to, mm. to, mm. to have some type of intervention, like this really invasive thing. And yet you, but that's the wonderful thing about the brain is that, I mean, yes, brain surgery is a required thing for, for, for <clears throat> many different reasons, but the brain is also in the same breath is also so malleable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like things like CBT and things like mm-hmm. mindfulness can literally rewire your brain in ways that it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Is it? I was going to say a hundred dollars says this conversation goes to psychedelics in some capacity. <laughs> I mean, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I mean, like, is, is that you brought it up? So now, <laughs> yeah. Will. Can we talk about psychedelics? Like, like, have you, like, like, all right, I win. Uh, well, is I there- will say, so the only thing that I ever found in the four years of seeking, uh, you know, some, Relief uh, yeah. before I we went to the Mayo Clinic. The only thing that I found was getting piss drunk, and that oh, no. basically took my pain away. So interesting, right? You know, like I had, I did record some music in that time, but I was fucking wasted. Like, right. whoa, crazy! Um, and it's was weird that, was because it the that best song, music you ever made. <laughs> no, because it's <laughs> totally like not intentional, and it's not you know, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, I wasn't present. I don't really remember those recording sessions at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like super bizarre for that music to be out and like, be like, well, that was a shit time. Like, I <laughs> don't love having that. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you ever write like capsule, a but autobiography, like a scar tissue type deal, I mean, like that's that's yeah. that's key. That's, that's key. That's, uh, a, that's a whole key. chapter. That- yeah. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I I'm I, I mean this is so you know so far 40 45 minutes into the conversation I'm everything I've heard you say so far Stefan is I mean it, it's it's it really is like um it's shocking and it's like it's mind blowing to think about all the things that you've been through and like the specifically the the sort of path and journey that you took to get to this diagnosis um and just just by way of having these conversations you know 300 and whatever times over over the last 6 years um one of the big things that time and time again comes up in conversations like this where people are experiencing experiencing physical, um, physical hardship, 
there's there very much is like a, a pretty hefty mental toll that comes with that. Um, and I don't mean in the sense that like in your case where the, there, there's also this very like psychological um, uh, element to what it is that you're experiencing, but, but more so I'm curious to know like how, how did this affect your mental health overall? You know, like what was your, whether that be before going to the Mayo Clinic or after or during, like, like how did this take a toll on your mental health and, and how did this take a toll on, on like your, your relationships? I mean, it fucked everything up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, this thing that I had, I, I started playing music as a four-year-old, you know, like, and then mm. at 22 in, in the theoretical, like prime of my life, my twenties, when I'm supposed to be like building a career, I was totally uh, at a standstill. And it was stripped from you. Yeah. I mean, the dream that I have had, yeah, since I was literally like nearly in diapers, um, was no longer, felt like it was no longer possible, no longer tangible. Mm. Um, And like I questioned whether I could call myself a musician anymore. Mm. And like it was, it was such an existential identity level. And there were Which definitely is its like, own trauma on its own. Yeah. Totally. Layered on top. Um, and also, uh, you know, on a, like socially, like my community was musical and artistic and also very much like product driven. And everybody's always asking what you're lo- working on. And mm-hmm. I ha- had nothing, you know, like, and that was embarrassing and demoralizing. And, um, and w- was there, was there a part of that too that was like, hard to, hard to explain to people totally. because, be, you know, you're, you're living with an invisible illness. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're dealing with something that is not, that is not, uh, unlike our friend you, David, you, like you don't know you, what it is. Yeah. And you don't know what it is. It's like, it's not something that's obvious. So like, I'm, I'm sure it would make it harder to, to communicate those types of things within your community when, when living with an illness that isn't very visible an illness that's invisible and also an illness that I can't describe to myself. So I sure as hell can't describe to other people. Yeah. Right. Um, And so it was basically just people being aware that I was on this fucked up journey. Um, and not knowing necessarily how to support me. And I mean, I, I, it was also, I mean, it also screwed up my everyday life. Like I, I had to have, on many occasions, like a friend come over and help me like cut vegetables because mm. I couldn't really use my arms for mo- for almost anything. Um, and I had to like change what I was doing at my job, like pretty much constantly. Cause it was always like, Oh, this new injury. And now I can't do that anymore. And this new yeah, injury and I can't right, do that anymore. Yeah. What um, about like dating and like your sex life? Like did, did you have a relationship at the time when this is all starting to like kind of pop up or, like, did you have someone there to support you in in that way? Like a, a significant other who who kind of went through this with you? Well, this was kind of contemporaneous with my coming out as uh, queer. Um, mm. So it was, I mean, basically like that, that like final realization um, came at 21. And then a year later, I'm like really getting into dating, really becoming comfortable with myself. And then boom. Um, and it was so challenging because... Um, well, first of all, I think I would, I, I, I'm realizing this now that I've like really filled my life with dating because I didn't have anything else. And it was sort of seeking fulfillment in 
a relationship that never really happened because the stakes were too high. Um, But, you know, also not knowing how to talk about this uh, on a date. And Mm -hmm. when I say I'm a musician, but I don't make music, like, that doesn't make any sense. And And dealing with, like, and dealing with dating at a time where... I mean, fuck, we're so superficial at that age. Like we're so like, it's, we're so on the surface for for the most part Mm -hmm. at that, at that time where like theoretically, I, I, I started, I I met my partner when, when I was 20 and we've been together since then. But like, I, I think about that time in my life and like in, in no, in no situation would I be going into it thinking this might be forever, like, or this, or this might be long-term. So like laying that out on the table with people that you're dating and being, and also getting laid on top of that. I don't actually know what it is. <laughs> I, I can't really describe it to you. I'm just yeah. fucking in pain all the time. Yeah. Like what a, you know, what a curveball for, for dating at the time where people are, you, you know, on the, I, they, they probably think even if it does end up being something long-term, the initial thought is like, you know, maybe we're just, hang- we're just hanging out. This is going to be a short-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's sex driven or whatever. And, and then, and then, you know, you got to lay, you got to layer on this. Like, and also I have this fucking thing mm-hmm. that I don't know and I can't describe. And that's something that, that, that this person has to accept and help me with and deal with. Like, did it, like, did it, did you feel like it was, it was a, like you said you were dating a lot, but did it feel like it was something that, like always prevented anything from materializing mm. past a certain point? I think in some capacity, it's weird. Like basically there, there's this whole concept um, in, uh, in the queer world where when you come out, it's the, this concept of delayed adolescence where you sort of go through all that again. And, and, mm. and uh, I mean, I didn't have that much dating experience. I tried to date women. Um, it was, I, I always knew inherently that I was gay and, and, and so I never really let those relationships get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of experience sexually, romantically, whatever, and having just like then catch up. Um, and then at the same time, like, so I was essentially like going on like three or four dates a week and going to the doctor three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like, yeah, doctor in the morning, work in the, during the day and then, uh, and then like getting drunk on a date in the evening. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that was sort of like my schedule. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is a, a dumb question or not, but in terms of like your identity as a human being, like not your sexual identity, but I, I'm imagining like, so there's the saying like, in order to have somebody love you, you have to love yourself first. Mm. And I wonder, like, never heard that before. <laughs> it's a great Joel Blaskett. Where did you hear, Where did you find that? I can't where, remember. It's... I have it written on my wall. In curse of writing. Oh my uh, god! Embroidered but, but, on a frame. <laughs> thing. I have, a, but, I have it tattooed on my cock. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's, oh, oh yeah, wow, that's weird. That's a good uh, reminder. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I I wonder, like, in terms of your identity as a person who has this like invisible, undetermined you know, illness or disorder that's, that's going on. You're trying to figure out what it is. Is it hard to figure out who you are to even be able to love yourself in order to have somebody else love you? Like, is that a dumb question? No, I don't think it is. I think it it totally makes sense. I mean, like, especially like people in the arts for better or worse, a lot of your 
self-worth is wrapped up in the stuff that you make. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as a person who's not making anything, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I became a better friend. Um, I think there were like certain things that I was able to cultivate at that time um, that, and I, you know, self-improvement, whatever. I, I like educated myself on a lot of things. I like became political. I, I learned a lot about history. I listened mm. to a shit ton of podcasts. Um, mm. And, you know, that, that became sort of my mission at the time, but it didn't feel like it was going anywhere because it wasn't, it was, it was, it wasn't like a, um, a purpose, you know, like mm. I did, I, I felt purposeless. I felt directionless. And, yeah. um, I think it's like sort of laying the foundation, but like, like to, to take that leap off of like the, the, the self betterment sort of, um, thing is, is, is really, you know, it's not action. It's not Oakham's, but it is this like foundation that you can then step off of to, pursue your purpose or your passion or you I guess it's kind of in a sense where you find that too were, were you were you like in the it, just to hop on that like as an artist who <laughs> is dealing with a with an illness that has stripped your art away from you has stripped away this this piece of you that is like that is you did you go through any moments of kind of like these existential crisis moments where you're thinking, well, I got to make something of myself. So might as well go to law school or like, you know, like, like, were you, <laughs> were you thinking, were you thinking of like, uh, like other strategies to, or, or, or other things that brought, that filled you up that, that maybe, maybe singing and, and, and music isn't the thing. And I have to go in a different, I have to go in a different, like go on a different route. I mean, I definitely considered it, but like pursuing any of those different tracks, um, you know, taking the fork uh, in the road the other direction would have felt like giving up. And so Mm, Mm -hmm. I never did it because, I mean, the health stuff was such a part-time or even full-time job um, that... Like it was sort of one or the other, you know. Like it was yeah. like, okay, I uh, I'm gonna give up now. Like, the, and I was so close to doing that before I went to the Mayo Clinic. It was mm-hmm. because I had literally exhausted all my resources in the city, mm-hmm. um, and I was like looking into like what it would take to get like a mer- medical marijuana license, which at the time was like extremely expensive and really really hard to do. Um, in, in in terms of like um, pursuing your your art while you were feeling this, this pain, like, were you able to write, like, did you, did it, did your, your, your journey inspire you to, um, write any songs? I I saw on your Instagram page that like two or three posts ago, you, you put up a song that's about chronic pain. Yeah. But that, I wrote that after. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Cause I needed the, the, also, there's a really, really loud uh, car driving by. I don't know if you wanted me to stop. We can, and then we we can, we can have to scrap the whole episode. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a, like nice, subtle yeah. Brooklyn vibes. Also talking exactly. about writing music exactly. and you're hearing exactly. this. Yes. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's perfect, perfect yeah. subtle Brooklyn. Total, we're going to get copyright infringement oh, on shit. this. Uh, yeah. We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I w- for the first year, I actually learned how to write songs without an instrument in my hand, which was really invaluable because now I do that all the time. 
um, because mm. I couldn't play in any instruments, but I could still sing for that first mm. year before I got my tonsils out. Um, so I was writing on the subway and I was, I, I went on, I got the opportunity to go on this retreat and I wrote like five songs in six days. And it was just sort of like, it it really was sort of flowing out. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to do with it because I couldn't accompany myself and, um, even hiring a band felt like a weird thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. but then once my voice went away, it was over. Yeah. Um, right. Because writing songs takes time. And if you can only sing for five minutes in one sitting, what's the point? You know, yeah. Is, 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 yeah. is that just a, like, I'm, I'm really, I've always been really interested in the, <clears throat> in the, the, like the, the, a musician's process in terms of like, you know, do they, do they, do they, uh, is it lyrical driven at first and then the music comes after or vice versa? And it's, it's, it sounds like those, and and I, we have a really good friend who, who is a musician who I know they sort of are, they, they come in tandem. Uh, mm-hmm. like he's playing, he's playing and writing it kind of at the same time. Um, like learning, you know, you said you were, you, you would play me like writing music without playing the music was, was foreign to you. And learning to do it the other way, like, is that, is that in any way, like a, um, is that in any way, like an, un, like an, uh, like at, uh, an at the time unknown, uh, like practice for what you would then go to treatment for in terms of like teaching yourself to do this very familiar thing in a completely different way? In a way, I think, I think that's perhaps, um, a a uh, a stretch to draw that line specifically, but like a lot of the program was about modification and mm. don't it's 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 don't avoid a activity, modify the activity nice. um, because avoiding the activity is perpetuating that neural pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so and it's so easy. It it can be so easy to want to avoid it because it mm-hmm. pisses you off so yeah. much that you can't do yeah. it the way that yeah. you want to do it exactly. or the way that you've been used exactly. to do it. it. Just coming back to the the CBT. Um, and the other, the other modalities of, of treatment for you, um, how long was that, was that process at the Mayo Clinic? And then, and then afterwards, because like, I'm guessing this isn't something that like you do once and then ta-da, like you're good. Um, unless you are, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I can't imagine. Um, so like what, what, what's, what, what's that process? What did that look like? Um, the, you know, the first time going into it and then. And then how do you how do you keep that practice up? So the program is three and a half weeks long. Um, it's outpatient, so you stay at a hotel or an Airbnb or whatever near the Mayo Clinic campus. But the but you know you get to the end. I by the time I got to the end, I could I think I could play guitar for twenty minutes or maybe fifteen minutes. I could sing for like ten or twelve, and then over the following two years, I continued all that therapy. And I had a lot of setbacks and um, with guitar basically had to start over again um, mm. and a bunch of other injuries, a lot of I, like uh, a lot of like leg and foot stuff, which thankfully didn't become chronic. So like that, um, that really seemed that sort of a test to show that the the things I learned there worked. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have to do the same, you know, like you didn't have to do the same level of work mm-hmm. because it wasn't, it wasn't afflicting you as intensely with these like new things that came up. 
Exactly. Like versus, exactly. you know, the thing that the, all the things that ha- would have happened pre Mayo Clinic and all the treatment, you're, you're sort of having to like really work on some backlogged issues totally. versus like these new things that come up. And as they come up, they're way easier to deal with because you've got the tools in your tool belt to, to work with them. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I, Stefan, I mean, this, this has been just such a, such a, a lovely conversation. And I, you know, when, when, when was it that you went to the Mayo Clinic? How long ago was that? 2017. Okay. So we're a number of years out from that. How are, what, like, what's Stefan today? How are you today? I mean, I'm pretty damn good. Like I'm, mm. I'm playing a lot of music. I'm performing. I mean, in, in before the pandemic hit, um, in 2019, I played like 35 shows. Ooh, um, oh, and that was my, I mean, the beginning, March of 2019 was when I really started playing out again. Um, and it was really scary. And like, at first I felt like I could only do like 25, 30 minutes and now I can play for a lot longer. Um, just sort of, you know, reacclimating myself to the stage, um, and getting over the fear of not just playing again for the first time, but also, oh my God, what if this pain attacks me on the stage? What if it all, you know, because yeah, I have flare ups all the time. Um, and I just have to do the same thing to get through them. I know the tools and I have to just use them more to, uh, get through whatever may come up. Um, but yeah, so now I'm like writing on this music. Um, I've put out two EPs and a couple singles. Um, I'm recording all the time. I'm about to start a new EP and hopefully touring now that that's becoming, um, a possibility again. So like the dream is back and the career is back. Um, I'm older than I'd like to be at this point in my career, but (laughs) I sort of like, uh, subtract six years from my age um, and think like, okay, would I feel all right if I were 24 right now? Yeah, that's sure. So um, that's sort of where I'm at. Well, that's, that's a, you know, that's a really, you know, like we, we have tons of conversations like Jer said earlier and um, it's a toss up and I'd say it's probably less, less often that it's, that it, it, that at the end of the conversation, it's like, it's, it's that, it's, it's really, it's that good. Mm-hmm. So like kudos to you because especially on the, especially <clears throat> in the way that there are some things that are, there are some things that are like, here's this pill or this drug or whatever. And that's the treatment. But when your treatment is you being dedicated and committed to like your thoughts and how hard that is, because it's really fucking hard. Uh, you know, on some level, we're sort of like all doing what you need to do, but with with lower stakes. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah. you know, massive kudos to you for the dedication that uh, no doubt is is needed to to keep up with the maintenance on keeping yourself in that good place. Mm. Thank you. Um, uh, Justin, I, Justin, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, uh, at the, I'll tell you why I said Justin. Stefan, um, your episode originally was supposed to air on August 9th, but mm. I'm, I'm going to change that um, and get Lauren to put it out um, this coming Monday. Cool. Uh, the 26th, because you have a show coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is the, it's, it's in New York on Saturday, July thir- uh, tw- 31st. Yes. At the Rockwood Music Hall in New York. 
Thank you so um, much. For and mentioning I would love that. to put this out there so that people people can grab tickets if you're you're in the New York area or hell if you're you know in any area that's a drivable <laughs> distance from there. Um, uh, I would love to just like you know get people to come out and and support your show. That'd be um, really, really cool. Um, but having said all that, uh, I want to I want to ask you the the one question that we ask most of our guests, and it's a two parter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first part is, um, what would you say is the biggest thing that CSS has taken away from you? Um, it's a really good question. For better or worse, I think it took away a carefreeness or a, like basically my twenties. Um, and, uh, just being able to trust that my body would cooperate and I could do whatever the fuck I wanted to it. (laughs) Like most 20 year olds do. (laughs) Um, yeah, I never had that. Um, I had to be a responsible ass adult and coordinate all this stuff. Um, from a really early age. And um, I think I missed out on a lot of risks and that I, that I maybe should have taken. Um, I missed out on a lot of like debaucherous nights <laughs> and like, you know, staying up into the wee hours of the morning and, and um, a lot of that stuff. But, but at the same time, like now I know how to take care of my body and, mm. Mm-hmm. I know to take, I mean, most importantly, I know to take care of my voice and like that, that's going to give me longevity, um, mm-hmm. in a way that I don't know if a lot of people have the knowledge to, what would you to do? I, I just want to ask when you say take care of your voice, do you, do you just mean literally in terms of your, your musical voice? Because, um, like it really, this whole conversation has been about your voice in terms of like advocating for yourself mm-hmm. and, you know that having that briefcase full of four hundred pieces of paper and taking cool it in the hospital. Briefcase, yeah. So like, I, like I'm not sure if you intended for that to <laughs> to be a metaphor for that too, but yeah, totally. I certainly um, see that in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, I had what to be you... assertive for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, no and now people on the phone probably don't. I mean, secretaries, <laughs> whatever, don't love talking to me because I'm like, I know what's going on behind that desk. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the biggest thing that CSS has given you? Um, optimism and compassion, for sure. Um, mm. I mean, I still have all these like crazy things to get over in terms of my relationship with fear and and um, my relationship with the world and and um, stress and anxiety and all these different things. But I feel like I can. I feel like I understand other people's troubles um, better than I ever would have. And I can Mm. empathize with them better than I ever would have. Um, And that's a huge gift. Um, Totally. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I understand everything and that like, Oh, I have this like, you know, magical power of, of uh, experiencing what other people experience. But I think, um, I go by Swami Baba now. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) But at the same time, like, I think it just, I mean, I, I, this is, this is true of, of being gay too. Um, like being able to understand adversity in some way, um, gives you this tiny pinhole window into other people's lives and other people's experiences. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, name, name, in, name an intersection, name a, mm-hmm. um, a disenfranchised minority, um, mm-hmm. group, but like it, it's really important because I mean, so many people deal with pain and suffering from some capacity and to experience that it, you can't help, but get some sort of wisdom from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's invaluable Absolutely. for sure. Well, Stefan, I got to say, um, this has been a real treat. David Woodell, you did not disappoint. We do not have to burn your paintings. Thank you for that. Um, oh, good. Uh, I've been holding uh, my breath this whole time. <laughs> yeah. uh, for now, they are safe. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, uh, get, like, how, can, how can people stay up to date with you, your art, your, your work? Uh, give yourself a little, a little plug here on how people can follow along with you. And, and after that, uh, just, just uh, give folks another heads up on on how they can uh, come see your show on the 31st. Sure. Um, so Instagram and now uh, newly TikTok. Um, oh, yeah. Are my my Brian just got a boner. Oh, yeah. my God. Brian's got a huge TikTok, TikTok boner. boner. Um, is, is Brian the one with the tattoo on his dick? I can't remember. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm yeah. sure that it's uh, flying full mast, which is great. It's, it's, yeah, you can actually only you can read, actually the, read the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah before you can, you can, only, you can only read uh, love me... Self. Yeah. Oh God. Um, I mean, shit. That I, I'm impressed that you can read that much. Hey, it's, it's small font. That's the flaccid message, message I ever heard. About. Love me so. Um, um, anyway, um, so yeah, um, Stefan S T E F A N, and then um, Alexander Stefan Alexander is my um, uh, musical name because my last my real last name is Wiener, which is too funny for pop music. Um, <laughs> Wait, actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is funny. That's sweet. I know. So, it, I mean, talk about adversity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So, um, it's S T E F A N, and then A L X N D R. Um, we took yeah. out a couple vowels just because the handles yeah, were yeah, already taken. Hit. Yeah, you live in Brooklyn. I know. I know. That's I know. it. That's so cool. I, I like it. I like it. And, <laughs> so that's uh, the and the same show on the, both uh, platforms. And the show on the 31st, how can people get tickets? So that's at Rockwood Music Hall, stage three. Um, you can come find me on Instagram, and the link is in my bio. Um, and you can also go on uh, Rockwood Music Hall's calendar and find the tickets through there. Sweet. Well, Stefan, thank like thank you so, so much. This this is I'm I'm I don't say this often, I really do mean this. This was a highlight recording for us thank you you really are an incredible guest and and i'm so grateful that you took time out of your day today to sit down with us and to give us a little bit of insight into all of the things that you've been through over the years and uh we really do appreciate it our listeners appreciate it and so thank you thank you thank you absolutely it's been really great getting to know you guys and uh yeah stay in touch Everything keep happening to me How can I survive another injury If I
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.